Welcome to Disorderly Dogs, the podcast for dog guardians. If you find yourself in precarious predicaments with your dog, this podcast is for you. I'm a certified professional dog trainer and I take my 10 years of training experience and I share easy to implement dog training advice with an emphasis on kindness and compassion. Welcome. I'm so excited to share more. Reactive Redefined and the group coaching program will reopen for enrollment on Monday, August 1st. If you could use more immediate support for your reactive dog, be sure to join the free mini course over on our website, agoodfeelingdogtraining.com. You can also invest in the self-guided version of Reactive Redefined and gain access to our comprehensive course content to get the ball rolling before we can support you one-on-one. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Disorderly Dogs, the podcast. I have another extraordinary reactive dog guardian with me today, and she's going to share her experience inside of our virtual coaching program, Reactive Redefined. So Laura, will you tell the lovely dog people of the internet a little bit more about your boy? Yeah, um, my dog Darnell is a phenomenal black dog pit bull mix um, who I fostered and then adopted through one tail at a time, um, knowing full well his reactivity uh, when I took him on. So um, we've been on a long, little over two year training journey of uh, taming the wild beast he is outside, although he has always been a sweet angel inside. Okay. And I love it so much, Laura, because so many people come to us and like, we didn't know. Now we have a reactive dog. I love how you knew full well what you were getting yourself into. Like we will make it work. Exactly. I think a lot of people end up with a dog and they weren't expecting those behaviors and they didn't take them on, which I understand the difficulties of that journey, but I fostered him for a long time. So I knew full well what I was signing up for. And we were prepared to just keep working and trying to get better as we move through life together. Oh my God. Okay. And how old is Darnell now? He will be four in September. So. Oh my God. Oh my God. Okay. And what do we know about his life before you? Um, He was surrendered to Chicago Animal Care and Control, and they put him at around eight months old at that point. Um, And within a day, one tail at a time, took him in, and he ended up, I think, having more behavior issues than they saw initially. Um, So he spent a lot of time at their ISO house and um, at their behavior training center. Um, And then he was with one foster for six months before I fostered him for six months. So he was with them for a long time looking for the right spot. Oh my God. Okay. But shout out to one tail, right? Like putting the pieces in place to make sure that a dog like Darnell could get where he was meant to be. Exactly. They stand by their dogs um, and look for that right home for some of their more difficult dogs that they end up with. Oh my God. Oh my God. Okay. So for my own curiosity, I'm sure the listeners want to know too, what was the point where you're like, okay, cool. We're not going to be a foster anymore. Like you're going to stay here for reals. Um, so for everyone kept being like, when are you going to adopt him? When are you going to adopt him? And I was like, no, I can't. Cause he can't be around other dogs. And my sister and my parents have a dog. It's fine in this COVID shutdown world because I spend all day with him and I can leave to go see them. But I was like, once the world opens up again, this is not going to be viable. I can't leave him while I'm at work and then leave him when I go see my family. That's just not fair to him. 
Um, and then at a certain point, I decided to test him with my sister's dog and just thought it was something we could work on. And they became best friends pretty quickly um, and was able to integrate to our family. And everyone uh, was really surprised at his behavior because of how insanely leash reactive he was. Um, but once he was fine with a couple dogs in my family, I was like, all right, we can make this work. Oh my God. Well, and it's like, I, I think that there is such a stark contrast, right? And I think that like, I really hate the term leash aggressive because it so does not like sum up really what's happening with the dog. And Darnell's such a superstar example of that. Like, does he have a lot of feelings about dogs on a leash? He sure does. Can he also be really good with dogs off leash in an appropriate setting? Hells yes, he can. Right. And I think the blocky headed dogs really kind of get labeled like, oh, they're really leash reactive. So it could be bad. But I love how you're like, let's see though. Like, Let's know for sure. And turns out he's a really quite a social dude, isn't he? Yeah. Uh, you know, he's definitely selective about his dog friends, but I was like, I don't care. He needs three dog friends, like <laughs> my sister's dogs and my parents' dog. Um, so yeah, we paraded my sister's dog through while he was in the crate. Um, but he ate hot dog. Like he was very unsure of her, but he took food and I was like, okay, we can work with this. So as long as he could eat food around another dog, like it's something that we could train and work towards and see how it went. Oh my God. Okay. So can you describe for the listeners a little bit more about how Darnell's reactivity presents? So as we kind of talked about already, he's on leash, but when he sees dogs, just give everybody a little bit more detail on what transpires. (laughs) Yeah. When I first got him, they were like only in the backyard, no walks. And so that's where we started. And then they let me try to take him on short walks. And what I saw, he was muzzled. What I saw was leeching or uh, excuse me, lunging, barking at anything that moved basically at any distance. So it was people, dogs, small animal bikes, anything that moved was a threat, was scary. And he let out big barks and lunges um, at everything kind of spinning out. <laughs> was where we started. Oh my God. Right. Which I lovingly told you was what we call tornadoing, right? Like, Oh yeah. Yeah. That's what's happening. Okay. And, um, obviously he is a a blocky headed dog, some sort of, of, do you know his DNA? I do. He's like a little over 70% pit bull terrier, American bully. Um, 14% miniature pincher, which explains the desire to hunt rats, I think. And, uh, like 12% Cocker Spaniel. Right. Okay. So he's, he's predominantly a bully breed, right? Like, you know, he's not a giant dog, but where there is a will, there is a lot of movement and pulling on the leash, right? Like you get your workout when you're attached to him. Do you not? Oh Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, luckily we've made some progress there, so he'll ease up on the leash. Oh, you have made a lot of progress there. (laughs) Oh my God, oh my God. Okay, so um, you had a little bit of training help before you joined Reactive Redefine. Like, obviously, One Tail had been supporting you, um, and you did a little bit of in-person training work. What other training did you do before you joined Reactive Redefine? Well, most of the training was just myself and things I had learned through um, volunteering at the behavior center and just learning about behavior and working with them and following their protocols and looking stuff up online and working with him. And I felt we had made a lot of progress, but I also felt kind of stalled out at a certain point of not 
knowing those little tweaks to make and changes. Um, and so that's when I decided to invest some time and money and uh, try to kind of turn the corner and see what uh, continued progress we could make. Right. Okay. So what was attractive to you about reactive redefined? Um, I just feel like so many people think leash reactivity is this like, like people call dogs leash reactive who have this really mild reactivity, in my opinion, based on the, some of the dogs that I've worked with. Like there's such a, I was like, there needs to be like a Likert scale for dog reactivity. Versus where other dogs are. I'm like, you know, I'm like, I've worked with lots of leash reactive dogs on this end. And like, I personally haven't started with a dog that was as bad as Darnell was. I worked with dogs that were towards the end of the spectrum. And I feel like so many trainers know how to work with the lower end of the spectrum and don't understand that sort of more wide ranging or higher level of reactivity. And so I was just like, nervous to pay someone money who like was going to tell me that I already know. (laughs) And so the fact that you had this design program that like clearly you had worked with dogs with all sorts of levels of reactivity um, that I just felt more comfortable working with someone like you. Oh my God. Oh my God. Well, and it's like, I think that the, the work that you do with like the rescue and the behavior center and stuff like that, you just have such a broader perspective on like challenging behaviors and reactivity than like the average person or honestly the average trainer does, right? Like I think if a trainer is only working with dogs in a pet home setting, they really just can't understand like the full spectrum, like how intense, how intense things can be. Right. I I just, I I felt like they were just going to like tell me the same, the same things that I already know. And I'm like, I don't need to pay you money to teach me like the foundations. I need someone that can like come in and tweak and like understand where we're at, where you were like, okay, when he sees a bike and he's losing it, just feed him food, you know? And someone else was like, oh no, don't feed him because then you're rewarding the barking behavior. And I was like, I don't think that's really what's happening, but you know, but I'm not the expert. So it's hard to like, try to like counterbalance some of, uh, some of those points, but, um, it, it, your way definitely works. <laughs> oh my God. Oh my God. Okay. So let's give the listeners a little bit more perspective. So obviously like lunging, barking, spinning, there was a lot of, a lot of stuff happening for him. And it was, it was a lot of things, but I feel like when you joined, it was really more narrow that it was bikes and dogs were that like really the main thing that was causing it. Is that right? Yeah. So we had gotten to a point where he could kind of ignore people as long as he had space to watch them, which I didn't know before that him watching them was a good thing. I was like, I don't know if I should let him stare at them, but, um, and we were like, finally getting to the point where we could kind of cross a dog across the street. Like in some cases he could not totally lose it. Um, but he still totally lost it at any single bicycle, basically at any distance. So we were trying to especially work on those two things, but we even made some progress in understanding on, um, getting past people, which has been really helpful. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So for perspective, everyone, you are in Chicago, in a densely populated area. So there are very frequently triggers, right? Like, it's not like he's seeing what it's every day. He's seeing bikes every day. He is seeing dogs. 
Yes, <laughs> we definitely live in the city. There's no avoiding it. No matter where we go, we're going to turn a corner and run into something we don't want to see, but we're stuck um, and kind of have to make it work. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. So when you joined Reactive Redefined, you were already doing a lot of things well. And I think what we were able to do was just kind of leverage the things that he could already do pretty successfully and like make incremental changes there, but also come up with some other strategies now that you could actually be in closer proximity to dogs than you could before. Because tell the listeners a little bit, a lot of your your training plan before Reactive Redefined was just really heavy management strategies, right? Being proactive, creating space. Yes? Yes. Uh, it was a lot of avoidance, uh, a lot of giving him space, creating space, U-turns, turning around, you know, just sort of like avoiding the interaction and like just creating that space that he needed to stay under threshold. And we weren't really challenging ourselves to kind of use tools to close the gaps and kind of make progress in that way. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So what do you think is happening emotionally for Darnell? Obviously, I know this because we've talked about it, but share with the listeners. What do you think like the emotional fuel for his dog reactivity is? I mean, I just think a lot of it is he just doesn't know, you know, he was rescued at eight months. He had some big feelings. He spent a lot of time being separated from dogs and he didn't really have a lot of that early socialization that taught him how to interact with other dogs. And his body language is very blocky headed. Like I'm going to stare at you and like, you know, hold my chest out, which kind of is intimidating to other dogs who misread his cues sometimes and then cause them to bark at him. And then, you know, he kind of has these big feelings about it. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that there's a little bit of like a level of frustration for him too. Because like, is he unsure? Sure. But is he also curious? Yes. It's like this weird sliding scale of emotion that happens for him during the course of like seeing a dog. Right. So I think like initially he was a little bit more fearful. And since he's been able to like play with my family's dogs, he definitely knows like dogs can be fun. And so now that we're able to kind of play in those zones of being a little bit closer, he's definitely very interested. Like now all he wants to do is wait for the dog to pass and then go smell their trail. So he's super interested in smelling the scents of the other dogs, you know, and so definitely some, some mix in there of feelings. Yes. Oh my God. Oh my God. Okay. So um, I know that in addition to the reactivity, just the pulling on leash and leash skills were also a priority. Yeah, it's something that I was just so focused on the reactivity that like, I didn't even think leash manners were a possibility or something that I should be focusing on. I was just trying to get him to not lose it outside. And I would take anything that was not losing it, even if that meant he was like, pulling my arms off or pulling my body over. Um, (laughs) But so it's definitely become a priority now that I realize that he can learn how to walk on a leash and like be a little bit more appropriate with his choices um, and that he can check in. Um, But really before he couldn't, like he could not give me the time of day. And now he's gotten to a point where he can turn around and check in with me. And so we're finally able to kind of make some progress on that. Right, right. Well, and because of all the work you had already done before you joined Reactive Redefine, when you joined, I was like, it is time, (laughs) right? Like we can make leash manners and like walking at your side more of a priority. It's time. He can handle it. Let's do it. And I know that before there was... There was no like, oh, yeah, we could just like ask him to do it for a short amount on a, a time on a walk. That was like a no, right? Like there would be no way that he could just walk at your side on cue even for a short amount of time, even just a couple months ago. 
no, not at all. Like he, he couldn't even like turn around and, and look at me. Like it would, it would, I would have to stop walking, wait him out for like minutes before he, he would even think like, okay, fine. She's not letting me move forward. Let me turn my head. Like that's where we started. <laughs> but inside the house, he like, he has every cue down pat. So for me, the hardest thing was like, he has, I've worked on all the foundational skills in the house. He has them all. He knows them all. But the minute we're outside on a leash, he can do none of it. And I was like, how do I make that connect between the two? How do I bring that outside? And that's where I felt lost and didn't know how to make that progress. Yeah. Okay. So I feel like there were a few key pivotal things that led to him being more successful. So one was a little bit more of doing nothing with an appropriate amount of space, meaning literally just standing here, letting him stand there and watch right? Like letting him gather information from afar. And I think that you already understood his body language, but I help. I, I feel like we were able just to distinguish a little bit more about like, this is when we can let it play out. And maybe this is when we need to intervene based on body language. Yeah. Absolutely. I think we were, I was able to better read like where he was just gathering information and not where he was like staring and getting built up, watching something and going to blow a gasket. Yeah. Right. And I think because, okay, so correct me if I'm wrong, but there wasn't a high level of proficiency in him wanting to take food on walks until up until recently. Right. Right. That, that was another thing. Like he was just not interested in taking food and he's still not really interested in taking food just because at the beginning of walks. Um, but when there's triggers, he's looking for food now. So we've made progress on that front. And then at the end of the walk, he's like, please feed me all the food. I'm done with my walk. I'm hungry. Let me eat. (laughs) So I think that as simple as it sounds, right? Like I really think that the stopping, letting him watch, letting him gather information, that was a really useful immediate strategy that wasn't contingent on him taking the food, which wasn't as probable before. Right. Like giving him the time to process on his own a little bit. Absolutely. And that's, what's made the change in us walking by people. Like now we just pull over ever so slightly to the side. We let them walk by and he's like a hundred percent fine. Whereas if we used to try to pass in motion, he would be lunging and pulling towards the person walking by. So he's just like, I just need to see you. I'm going to watch you walk by. I'm going to process the information. And then I'm ready to just keep moving forward. Right. Which I think, you know, it's probably surprising to a lot of people, right. That like, we're doing this very, um, it's almost kind of passive, isn't it? Right. Like we're not actively managing super hard. We're not actually even using food. We're just setting it up. So he feels comfortable and he can get what he needs out of the situation instead of putting him in a situation that we know is going to be too much at the current moment. Exactly. Yes. Work sometimes. (laughs) Oh my God. Right. Okay. And I think the second pivotal thing for you all as a team was obviously getting him to to take food a little bit more frequently, but more importantly, getting him to look for food on the ground when you cue it. Yes. Right. We were joking in the group call, right? Like find it isn't the answer to everything, but sometimes it is. (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah, getting him to take that food. And um, I remember trying find it and like 
I would just lose all sheets on the ground. He would just ignore it. He didn't care. Um, but at some point it just kind of turned and, um, now it's an insanely great behavior to do, especially after he's had a little bit of a reaction to kind of reset and sort of move him forward, move him away from where I want him to be. Um, I know that's when he's like ready to let it go and move on is when he'll turn and, and do a find it. Um, so yeah, that's been a huge, huge, huge new tool in our, in our chest to use, um, at all sorts of times on the walk. If he's being stubborn and I want to go the other way, find it, get him to turn and go the way I want him to go. <laughs> well, and I think too, like the blocky headed dogs become challenging because when they are met with the level of resistance, both literally and figuratively, right. Oftentimes their inclination is to resist, right? Like, oh, you're going to pull, I'm going to pull against it. Oh, you want to go this way? I want to go this way, right? Like it's very common in the blocky headed dogs, which is, you know, common, but also a pain in the ass in a lot of circumstances because we really don't want them to be like that. Like, could you not like actually, actually lung, lunge on the leash? And I feel like something that you two have done so nicely is I feel like you have really doubled down on strategies to prevent it from coming to that right? Where it has to be this like battle of the wills and you have to make him go this way and you have to go this way, right? Like, I feel like you've really gotten more fluency in some of these behaviors that kind of de-escalate some of that like friction and like him feeling like, no, I want to go this way. And, and now when you ask him to do something, he's kind of like, oh yeah, okay, cool. I think I can do that. Absolutely. <laughs> Let's talk a little bit more about the bike reactivity because I know that's still very challenging, but something that we su- I suggested, right, that you have implemented was doing some more controlled training with someone who has a bike that he already knows and doing a little bit more controlled setup since out in the world, there are just so many variables you can't control. Yeah, it's so hard with the bike because like, you can't prepare like you can with a dog or a person to pass by. You don't have that time to create space all of a sudden there's a bike going past you and maybe you have the space and maybe you don't. And like this morning we were working with a bike and it was great. And I was convinced the biker was going to turn because that's where every biker turns. And then they came straight at us. And I was like, okay, you know, like, let's go over here. Like try to drag him. Like, uh, it's so hard to control. And, um, yeah, in our initial convo, we were like, where can you go to watch bikes? And I was like, I don't know if I knew that I'd be doing it. And then like, we were talking and I was like, oh, there's an elevated trail um, right by my house. And so I was like, I can find a quiet block. So I found this perfect dead end alley spot for us to stand and just watch um, bikes and runners go by. So we've made a lot of progress with runners because any person moving too fast is no good. Um, And so we were able to like, just, and that was the initial, like we could control exactly how much space the bikes went by. It was a very brief moment and I was just shoving food in his face. Um, And now we've gotten to the point where he can take food when he's looking at a bike, even if sometimes it's a little, a little, I want to bite your hand off, but (laughs) (laughs) it's a little sharky, but at least he's staying semi under threshold, right? Semi under threshold. And so we've had like mixed moments of reactions to bikes even live like sometimes he can let them go sometimes he still totally loses it and sometimes I can't tell exactly why he's in that mindset but I will take the fact that there are times that bikes will go by us and he won't totally lose it (laughs) yeah absolutely and I think too like you know obviously all reactive dog guardians have a lot of pressures in their day-to-day with their dogs but I think because of your location and just the density of people and triggers we had to get particularly creative, 
Right. And it's like, you know, I think sometimes it just takes like someone looking outside of the box of like, I know that there's a million bikes where you live, but is there somewhere that we could safely watch bikes? Right. And you're like, oh my God, there actually is, you know? So it's like, I think that that's, what's so fun about like that initial one-on-one call is that I just get to bring a little bit more of that perspective that obviously you knew it was there, but you didn't really view it like as the training opportunity that it could be. No, I viewed it as like, don't ever go near it. (laughs) We might run into a biker coming off of it on the off ramp and don't you dare go buy it, even though there are safe spaces where they don't come down. And so you could actually sit and watch it. So no, absolutely. Right. And like your, your initial training plan where you're like, okay, this, 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 it was like even separated by like type of small animal, you know, the fact (laughs) that like there are different tools and strategies for each of the weird things that he likes to chase or hunt or bark at or whatever. Oh my God. Right. And like, I think that that's, what's so fun about the one-on-one call is just like, okay, cool. Where are you at? What's happening? What's going on? And how can we tweak that? Right. And like, I don't think that there was anything like extraordinarily brand new. It was just helping you understand like what you already knew how to do when you could do it. And I think something else that I encourage you a lot with is like, we don't always have to avoid, (laughs) we don't always have to avoid. Right. And I think you, you were just so good at that for so long. And obviously sometimes that's still the plan, right? Like sometimes you just have to run out of there and that is okay. But I think that like, I help shed light on like, there are actually more situations where Darnell could probably handle it. And maybe you don't have to run. Right. And he proved that he can. So (laughs) he's impressed me very much in moments where he is able to handle things. And then if he's not, it's not the end of the world. We just shake it off and move on. And that's something that he had become really good at prior to even coming in here is his ability to just let things go. Um, If he stayed, you know, uh, twisted up and like super emotional, it would be really hard to keep doing it. But he's so great at just like shaking it off, rolling it off, huffing it out, letting it go and moving on and wants to keep walking. So we are able to use those training moments and I don't have to worry about like, oh, accidentally he went over threshold. Oh, we can't walk for two days. Like, no, we can just keep going. Right. Like he actually has a really surprisingly quick, like recovery. Yeah. Right. Like, yes, it is a lot of reaction, but he really does kind of like come back down to baseline after the fact really quickly. And so, I mean, obviously when we first started, it wasn't quick, uh, but like that has come along. Like I think the quickest naturally on its own, I think it's just a lot of trust between the two of us. He knows I got him. He knows like, we'll just keep rolling. Um, he's excited to be outside. And so he's able to let that go. Cause he wants to keep, you know, he wants to keep going. Um, and so that's huge. Well, and I think too, like, you know, I want to, I want to hear you share a little bit more about this. Like, I know that early on the rescue was like, okay, no walks, keeping him in the backyard, but I'm sure a dog like Darnell just being in the backyard, I'm sure that that was causing some issues inside because he was not being stimulated the way he needed to be. Yeah, exactly. So (laughs) people think I'm crazy that I walk him 60 to 90 minutes in the morning. Um, but that's all he needs. And then people say, that's all I'm like, yeah, but he literally sleeps the rest of the day. Like he doesn't need much from me. He doesn't have much more energy. Um, and he just kind of gets out all of that, uh, you know, joy that he has to be out in the world. Like he really is so joyful being out on the leash. Um, he loves smelling things. He loves hunting for rats. He loves running through the park. He loves everything. Uh, 
jumping through the snow and we do have snowy days. He really loves the snow. Um, he just loves being outside. And I think part of that is how little he got to be out on a leash. You know, he would have 10 minute walks. Like that's not enough for a dog who has, has energy. And so when we were able to slowly increase those, uh, walk times, he definitely let a lot more of that out and had the time to process and work on things out in the big, scary world. Oh my God. Well, and I think that that's like, you know, I think that oftentimes like, you know, through social media, positive reinforcement trainers, and not that it's wrong, but you know, there's a lot of like, you know, sentiment of like, you don't have to walk your dog and you don't. Right. And, and that is true in some circumstances, but I think that Darnell is a really good example of like not walking him would work against him, not for him. Right. Like, yes, you live in a busy world. Yes. Sometimes he has reactions, but keeping him inside and preventing those reactions by not walking him is not in his best interest or yours for that matter. Cause you still have to live with him. Right. And I like, you know, until recently, like I didn't, I don't walk him in the afternoon. I don't walk him when the world is busy. Like it's too much for him. It's too much for me. It's frustrating. Um, so we only do it when we're going out to train in the afternoon. Um, but I'm a teacher, so I have to wake up early anyway. So I used to go to the gym before work. So I used to wake up early for myself. And once the pandemic hit, I was just waking up early to walk Darnell instead. So instead of going to the gym, I would get up and walk him in the world before most people are awake. So we do run into things early in the morning, but you know, we are walking from 4.45 AM to 6.15 AM and we don't see that many people or that many dogs or that many bikes. Um, and so it allowed him to explore the world and enjoy it safely um, and not run into too many things early on. And then we've been able to make progress other times of day and not have to wake up that early if we don't want to. <laughs> oh my God. Right. And, you know, I think that there've been a lot of wins obviously through reactive redefine, but one of those really being that like, yes, you have to be like spot on your game training wise, but yeah, you can get him out at busier times of day and like have skills. It's not contingent on like, it's only possible before the rest of the world is awake. Right. We can absolutely go out. We've gone out on hot, busy summer afternoons and we've been able to manage it. You know, he is able to manage. We are able to get through. Sometimes it's a little sticky in a few moments, but we find a place to, to turn and hide and take a breather and then keep going if we need to. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So I need to give you some credit here because you advocate for him so damn well, right? And you have to, because you live in a busy city environment and he needs a lot of things. So can you just share with the listeners a little bit, like some of your advocating for him strategies? I know you have some gear, tell them all about it. Yeah, this is my, my best find because you know, when I got him and then I heard about all this reactive dog stuff and I heard like, oh, this yellow color means dogs need space. And I was like, well, I've never heard that. So if I've never heard that, nobody knows that that like what's that's what that means when you see someone with a yellow leash or a yellow bandana or whatever. Um, and so I found this uh, British company just I was looking for something that said space needed or I need space. Give me whatever. And I found this um neon dog company from the United Kingdom and they have these like athletic shirts that just have space needed printed on the front and the back and I was like that's perfect because then someone sees us coming from a while and they know we need space 
And now we need less space than we needed before, but I still wear it. And like this morning, someone was throwing a stick with their dog off leash in the park. As soon as he saw me, he put his dog into a sit, waited until we like got past them. And then he continued to play with his dog. And I didn't have to say anything. He didn't even have to stop. I was going to work with Darnell, but I was like, cool, I'll take it because I'd rather that than an off leash dog run up on us. Um, But it just really changes other people's perspectives And then if he loses it, like, they don't look at me like I'm a crazy, terrible person that I'm not working with my dog. They're like, oh, well, her shirt said she needed space. So clearly she did. (laughs) Right. So it's really helped a lot. Um, And then on my block, like, when I, you know, there are people with other dogs and there's this one dog we kept seeing in the morning and he would lose it. And I felt so bad at this other guy. So the minute I saw him outside without either of our dogs, I went over and introduced myself and he was like, Oh, I just feel so bad that you have such a hard time. I'm like, no, he's not, we're not having a hard time. We're fine. He just says, you know, it's like the first thing we see you is when we're leaving the house. And that's when he's actually the most reactive. Cause like he hasn't gotten any energy out yet. So like, I'm sorry, he's barking at you. He's like, Oh no, my dog's fine. We're cool. And now he doesn't say anything but he'll wave across the street when we see each other in the morning um and darnell's gotten better at not totally losing it um and so i think he's seen our progress and it's nice to just be able to like make that connection with neighbors and let them know we're working on it we got it you know and and sort of just advocating for dogs that need a little something special and different and i think that your confidence is contagious right and people start to realize like she's fucking got this like you know, maybe he barks sometimes, but she's clearly got this, they're working on it. Right. Like, and I think that that's so valuable in a really busy environment, right? Like I know so many reactive dog guardians struggle with what other people think, right. About them and their dog. And I love how you just show up. Like, I don't care what you think, but we do need space. Thank you. Have a good day. Right. And it's just as simple as that, right. You do such a beautiful job of it. You really do. Okay. So, um, do you want to talk a little bit about like, maybe some of your favorite parts of reactive redefined, right? Like obviously we're able to give you a custom plan. What about the group calls? Yeah, the group calls are super helpful. And I especially imagine they're helpful for people that haven't had that reactive dog experience before or don't know anybody else that owns a reactive dog. Um, I'm lucky and have a community of people that have reactive dogs and have built that, but that is so valuable to be able to talk to someone else who's gone through the same thing and understand that like emotional toll. And so being able to share that on the group calls um, and see the things that they're working on with their dogs, tips and tools that you can take uh, that maybe you don't see in your own practice. But then when you see someone else do it, you're like, oh, that's what that means. Or that's what that looks like. Or that's when that tool could come in handy, um, you know, and working with your own dog and kind of applying it to yourself. Um And then, yeah, just being able to like share in that community, uh, someone posted on Facebook when they went on vacation with their dog and they were having a hard time. And so to just be able to like comment right away and be like, you got this, just keep working on it, you know, and just to have that community, uh, of, you know, people out there that, that understand what you go through. Right. Well, and you're still very actively involved with the rescue, right? So fosters being in and out of your house, helping with that. Right. And like, I'm sure that you probably start to notice some similarities to some of the dogs you work with that are like, you know, currently up for adoption and some of the other dogs that are currently in reactive redefined, right? Like, you know, there's a lot of similarities. So I think that that's a cool aspect for you too, right? Is that like, it's not just for Darnell, right? Like everything you're learning actually benefits a lot of dogs outside of Darnell. Absolutely. 
Yeah. Oh my God. They are lucky to have you. They are lucky <laughs> to have you. Um, okay. So Laura, if there was one piece of advice or two or three you would give to a reactive dog guardian, who's maybe listening, who's maybe feeling overwhelmed. Like I don't got this. <laughs> We've made no progress. What are we going to do? What would you tell them? I would tell you first, you do got this. If you are listening and you are looking for resources, that is step number one. Um, The fact that you know something needs to change, that you want something to be better, like that is where you start. And then ask for help. Find a Facebook group. Uh, Do the mini course to get your feet wet uh, for Reactive Redefined. Um, I volunteer at the pet mutual aid clinics, and sometimes we have reactive dogs that come in and, um, you know, we have to muzzle them for the vet part. So I show them how to put the muzzle on and have them do it to their dogs. And then I'm always telling them about your free mini reactive redefined course. I'm like, here, do this. This is like the starting training foundation skills, um, you know, that you're working with your dog and just, just start somewhere, start in the house, start with watch me start with sitting, start with, you know, walking at your side in the house. Um, and those foundational skills will translate outside and then just find your window in your neighborhood where you can walk and get out of your house and not run into a million dogs. Who knows what time of day that is? Just keep trying. Um, and you can find kind of that magic time when you can have a little bit of space and time for your dog to be outside. And if you're lucky enough to have a backyard, that's where we started. We just started training in the backyard, listening to things, looking at things from far away um, and learning to be peaceful in the backyard was our first step to then being able to try to be peaceful um, out in the bigger world. (laughs) Yeah. And I think like, you know, trusting the process. I think that Darnell is such a great example of like you playing the long game and it's really paying off now. Yes. And it's a a long game and you will see wins and you will see progress. Um, And there are some points, many points over the two years that I was like, maybe this is the most progress we can make. And then something new would happen and we would make a little bit more progress. And you're like, okay, maybe we can do more. And then we would keep going. And then we would hit a wall again. You're like, maybe this is the best we'll ever be. And then all of a sudden something else would happen and we would make some progress. And you're like, okay, maybe we could be better. Like who knows where that end game is. Um, and then really, it's really just about accepting, accepting your dog for who they are. Um, like, it doesn't matter what anyone else thinks. I don't care what a stranger thinks about me and my dog. I only judge a stranger and their dog when one, they're either off leash, especially with no recall, or two, <laughs> they're not intervening with their dog. Your dog can bark at me all they want, as long as you're attempting to somehow intervene, even if it's not working. And I'm like, cool you got it. You're a dog guardian. You're trying. Awesome. Right. And so I try to take that approach for me that nobody's judging me unless I'm not trying to intervene. Like I'm not letting my dog bite you. So I'm not doing anything wrong. (laughs) And it serves you so well. Right. Like, and I think, you know, obviously I know it's not everyone does this. You're a teacher and it shows, right? Like you have a very, you have a confidence, you have an essence about you that you've just translated to training Darnell. Absolutely. It's, it's, it's very much the same. You've got to give a lot of grace uh, to the little ones, whether they be dog or humans who (laughs) are having a hard time in this world. My teenagers are having a very hard time in this world. Um, And so giving them patience and love and space is what they need and what everybody needs. And so definitely um, it's, it's, it's helpful to 
try to be at peace yourself. And if you're not in a mindset to walk your dog, if you're stressed and you're anxious, then don't go yet. Wait and give yourself some time and space to get yourself in a mental headspace where you're ready to walk your dog and deal with what's out in the world. And if you don't have patience right now, wait till tomorrow. <laughs> exactly. Amen to that. Oh my God. Okay. So Laura, can you tell the listeners how they can find pictures of your sweet baby boy on Instagram? Um, yes, we are at darnell.b2 because I was, that's my little nickname for myself. Um, so that's how our Instagrams are linked. Um, and please follow one tail at a time, especially if you're looking for um, a dog who's less reactive uh, than Darnell in the world, but Oreo's been looking for her forever home for over three years now, and she has gone through so much training. She's easier on leash than Darnell. She has dog friends outside. She needs to be an only dog in the home, but she loves camping and walking. And so if you're looking for a dog who's looking for a great owner, check out One Tail um, Oreo, please. Oh my God. <laughs> yes. Okay. Shout out to One Tail gotta love a respectable rescue organization who's doing what's in the dog's best interest oh my god laura thank you so much for sharing your story tonight thank you listen we've all been there you take your dog on an adventure and it is not carefree and fun like you hoped it would be we love adventuring with our dogs, but we know there is so much more to it than going places and taking the good pictures. So if you have an adventure dog and you're struggling with some of their training, our comprehensive course content can give you all of the information you need to make huge strides in your adventure dog training. Whether your adventures include hiking, camping, stand-up paddleboarding, we have content just for you. In addition to our comprehensive course content, we host monthly group Q&As so that you can get answers to your training questions from experts like Steph and myself. So if you have an adventure dog and training has not been going like you hoped, check out Adventure Dog Academy that opens for enrollment on July 1st. Thanks for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed the show. If you need help with your dog's behavior, you can learn more about our training services at agoodfeelingdogtraining.com. We post training inspiration and training tips almost daily over on the Instagram at agoodfeeling underscore NCO. If you like this podcast, we would be so grateful if you could share it with a friend or family member who could benefit from all of the information. Um, It's been a total delight. We love this podcast so much. And thank you so much for listening to Disorderly Dogs.